You're listening to the Branches HB Podcast. so many wonderful, amazing, talented folks on this staff team. Uh, Unfortunately, last week, I had about two days before Sunday when I got the confirmation uh, that I was sick at that point. I'd already been sick for quite a while and uh, called Austin in last minute. And somehow, you know, he took my notes and then got to work in two days time and preached a better message than I could ever preach. I mean, there's just incredible people in this church community. And what uh, you know, I walked away from, from that passage. is this really important concept that, you know, here Jesus is being asked, is he going to pay the temple tax? And the temple tax is, you know, it's a corrupt institution. It's, it's debated, you know. It, it kind of shows where you are on the political and religious spectrum, what you're going to do there. And Jesus says, look, I'm exempt. I don't have to do this. But so that we don't cause offense, let's just pay the tax. And you know, that's wonderful, amazing, clarifying wisdom in this world, where it just seems like every bit of debate and difference of opinion, politically or religiously, turns into an all-out mortal battle to the death. Like, that's what it feels like in our society today. And Jesus says, look, we got a kingdom vision that can enable us to rise above that and keep our main kingdom objectives in view, the fact that we're trying to reach those who are far from God. And I just want to affirm that that's who we are as branches. We want to keep those kingdom objectives in view. We want to conform to the word of God and the example of Jesus. That's what these times are all about. Whether I'm teaching, Austin's teaching, whether you think the message is really engaging this week or not so engaging, it's really funny, it's really inspirational, it's boring, whatever you think, whatever I think is not so important as where we land on the other side of it. Are we moving toward an application that the word is calling for? Are we moving more into the likeness of Jesus or not? That's what this is about. I just like clarifying that from time to time because I know you're sitting in seats and we live in a consumeristic culture and we can kind of like take the role of critic on the other side of a message. I I think it's really amusing to consider if Jesus were here today and he were teach to teach in the way that he taught Uh, with the message length that we're given of some of his messages, with a lot of his content, I think most of us would be a little disappointed. We listen to him and be like, that was it. You know, we all have these like really refined palates when it comes to sermons and listening to spiritual insight. At the end of the day, it's, it's all about, are we conforming our hearts to what he's actually conveyed? And it's an important reminder for us as we go into the text this morning, because I'm just going to be reading a very, very short passage of Scripture. We're talking about an extremely simple teaching of Jesus, and yet one that is entirely counter to our instincts and counter to the culture around us. It's one that's absolutely just wrecked me in five verses this week. That's all we're reading. And you could walk away, and we could be done in like two minutes. That would be it, right? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to actually develop 30 minutes of a sermon. But I'm telling you, that's what he's leaving us with. And yet there's so much for us to apply. Let's read it together here. Matthew chapter 18. Let's start in verse 1. It says, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child to him and placed the child among them. 
And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. That's it. Like I said, it's simple. It's short. It's clear. It's done in a few moments. That's all I did. Brought up a child, said, got to become like a child. And then I left. You'd all be like, that's it. That's all we got today. And yet, it challenges so many of our instincts. It challenges so much of the way that we form our identity. It all starts with that question, right, of the disciples. Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And we know that because later on the disciples will be surprised when Jesus goes to the cross and he dies, they still are envisioning a kingdom of heaven that's on earth. Like, what, what, who's going to be the greatest? They're, saying, they're asking for themselves, like, who of us is the greatest? Like, what kind of titles and honors and authorities and posts are we going to receive when you establish yourself as the authority in this world? You know, it's a, it's a question, of course, these guys would ask. They join this, you know, revolutionary group. They're in, they're in this rogue band. They're putting their lives on the line. Why would they accept that additional liability unless they were going to get something from it? Unless they were going to have new posts in the government that was going to be established. It's like, you're going to sacrifice to build the next Apple or Facebook from a garage. You're going to be asking about stock options. You know, what's my share in the company when we're successful? That's, of course, what they're going to ask. But it also gets at a question that I think is at the core, at the very heart, of a lot of us in our imaginations concerning ourselves. I think a lot of us wonder with that question, how can I be great? How can I attain to greatness? That's something that's really sewn into us as children. It's something that we're basically reared on in this culture, that desire to achieve greatness and also to admire greatness in the world. We grow up reading books, stories of heroic deeds and heroic figures. We watch movies along those same lines. We idolize celebrities, whether they're athletes, they're actors, they're CEOs. And, you know, we we watch them so closely. Society basically stalks them to, to mimic their behaviors. And we're taught to be very competitive with each other. You know, we're fighting from a very young age to have the best grades, to have the best spot on the team. You know, to land ourselves at the best colleges, to get the best jobs, to get the biggest promotion, to attain to the highest achievements, all so that we can be considered great. You know, what is it about greatness that's so great to us? Why is there so many different ways that we try to notate our achievements? You know, there's, there's a world record, an official world record, for how many watermelons, three, for how long it takes to to squeeze three watermelons, to break them between your thighs. Sorry it took me a second to figure that out. It's, it's hard to understand that that's a thing that we've notated, that there's a record for that. It was like 14 seconds to destroy three watermelons between their thighs. It's actually kind of impressive if you think about it. But why? Why do we notate all those achievements? What is it about greatness that is so great? What's the validation? 
the validation is so great. Who doesn't want to be validated? Who doesn't want their title on their business card to be something that they're proud of? Who doesn't want their LinkedIn profile to be perfectly curated with all of their history of all their accomplishments in the professional world? Who doesn't want more followers on social media rather than less? Or the reputation in the office or the authority or the degrees or the friend group that tells everyone else, it just communicates to everybody, I'm in. I'm valuable. I'm a success. I'm great. Validation. For some, I think they're seeking validation because it's like a security blanket. It kind of keeps their ego warm. Some of us just need our ego warm. <laughs> you know, we just need that feeling of security. Others, I think, pursue validation because it's like a defensive wall, you know, against feelings of inferiority or insecurity that kind of attack your sense of self. So if I'm validated, well, that kind of builds a defense against it. I think some people are pursuing validation because it's just this upper, it's this drug that keeps feelings of sadness suppressed beneath the surface. And unfortunately, no matter how long these disciples have been walking with Jesus, they still want the drug. They still want the defensive wall. They still want the security blanket. They want the validation from Jesus. Jesus, who of us is the greatest? Now, someone who's grown up basically in my adult years in the context of this role of lead pastor, I've seen that Jesus' disciples still want validation just as much as they did in biblical times here. And I've watched a lot of grown men, grown women, fighting to have the seats of authority to have the successful ministries, to, to you know, have the seat at the table that is honored. And it's not just in our culture, it's anywhere you look. You go to gatherings of pastors and it just reeks, it just can stink of who's achieved what and chasing significance and titles. Yeah, I went to this one gathering of notable churches and lead pastors and it was hosted at the most expensive house I've ever set foot in. And I've been in some nice homes. It's Orange County, right? But I'm telling you, this gathering of lead pastors, it was in the most expensive house structure I've ever been in. I, I don't know where it was. I, I, I took the road at nighttime. It was back in Irvine or in uh, Newport Beach. It had its own hill. Uh, you know, there's olive trees lining the entrance and the infinity pool. And then you go into the the main grand entry and it's all like limestone blocks that make up it's like a small chateau castle type structure and I left the meeting and I said to this other pastor who's twice my age way more notable than I am I, I said Man, it's kind of funny isn't it when the lead pastors of Orange County get together isn't it ironic that we meet together in a place like this and I'll never forget he turned to me and he looked at me with a puzzled look on his face like why in the world do you think that's ironic? What's strange about that? And in my mind, I didn't say this because I'm younger and you know, I'm not as notable. I don't even know why I'm at this gathering. In my mind, I'm going, what about the Gospels? What about the Beatitudes? Jesus says, blessed are you who are poor, poor in spirit. You know, what about Jesus saying, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions? What about the countless times that Jesus is pointing to those Pharisees, those vain religious leaders, and saying, you guys love money. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but on the inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. That's why this is ironic. When we get together, we're meeting in the sign of opulence and indulgence and worldly success. 
That's what's so ironic about this. But you know, I've gotten to a place in my adult years now where I've just kind of resigned myself to accept that a lot of the church at large has just embraced Christian celebrity, cult of personality, and visions of worldly greatness. They just accepted it. It's just common. We don't look any different than any other organization or institution in the world when it comes to our leadership structure. And, you know, we'll decry some of the outfall, the downfall of it. There's a podcast that's been circulating. A lot of people have listened to it. The rise and fall of a mega church that was heavily personality driven and everybody's listening to it and they're all chewing on the facts of it. And, you know, they kind of like decry, you know, these egomaniacs that end up at the top of these pyramids of some of these churches that cause a lot of the fallout. But I keep wanting to tell everybody, look, is anyone surprised? Someone had to buy their books. Someone had to sit in the seats and listen to them. Somebody downloaded the podcast. Somebody gave those people that position at the top of the pyramid to make them great. This culture of church that's oriented around these worldly definitions of greatness, it's as much the people as it is anybody who's sitting at the top that's creating it. But you know, it's not my job to stand up on a tiny little platform on Sundays and just point my finger at other people. Because when it comes to the teachings of Jesus, I am called to conform to them as much as anybody else. It doesn't matter if you listen to the teachings of Jesus. It's, are we conforming to it? It doesn't matter if I teach the teachings of Jesus. The question is, am I conforming to them? And I can tell you, I've been so floored by this teaching I've been humiliated by this teaching. I've been sitting with it for the last week just thinking about my own achievements, thinking about my own sense of greatness. And in all honesty, let me confess to you, I've never felt less great as a pastor. I've never been more confused as a pastor. When we went through that period of distancing in COVID where we eight months could not meet together at all, I said, I am going to labor for this community. I am going to hold this thing together, hold the line through all the troubles that we're going to go through. I'm going to fight for unity across all these differing understandings and beliefs without sacrificing biblical convictions. I'm not going to give up one inch of ground that so many have sacrificed for and so many have fought for for over 10 years of this ministry. But I realized something, and this is my confession, and I'm not proud of it, is that I wasn't just fighting for this community. I was fighting for me. Because what if? What if we did lose ground? What if all that labor and sacrifice came to an end? What would that then say of me? How would that reflect on my life and my aspirations? It's a question that really haunts me. I've been asking so much. What if you work your hardest and you pour out your heart and soul and you put the blood, sweat, and tears into it and the result in your professional life, in your parenting, in your relationships, in your marriage, what if you pour it all out and the result is less than great? What does that say of you? And it says in verse 2 that Jesus brought a child and placed him among them. And he said, unless you change and become like a little child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you change and become like little children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. 
You've got to change, Jesus says, if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. We've got to change. I've got to change if we're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And this is a great reversal here. You know, this is like thinking you're going to be the VIP at the party and you show up to the party like I'm the very important person here and uh, your name's not even on the list. Like that's the sort of reversal that Jesus is indicating. Like the disciples are showing up. Who of us is the greatest, Jesus? They're thinking we're the VIP at this party, the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says, your name's not even going to be on the list. If you don't change and become like a child. It's like the story of that all-star charismatic that's in the Gospels. Jesus says, oh, they're casting out demons. They're performing all these miracles in Jesus' name. And they go to Jesus and he says, away from me. I never even knew you. You're rolling up like you're great. You've accomplished all this. You're a VIP. If you don't become like a child, if you don't change, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. I think an important question that we should all ask of this scripture is, what is it about children that we need to emulate? Is it their purity? Is it their innocence? Is it their playfulness? Is it the fact that they wake up at all hours of the night, that they ask for eight different breakfasts, that they leave Legos out like a minefield? What is it about kids? This is cheap therapy for me right now. I think you noticed. Now, Jesus clarifies in verse 4, he's using this child as an example of one in a low position. It's about humility. It's about the inferior position of a child. The aspirations of the disciples were oriented toward titles and authority and power and influence. And in this few moments, Jesus inverted all of those aspirations to one with no authority no title, no leadership, and at the time, no validation. Instead of being propped up, the Greek uses a very simple term. It says we need to be brought low. That's what it means to be humbled. That's what it means to be even humiliated. Now, was this not the greatness that we see in the example of Jesus? Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. In your relationships with one another, Paul writes, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He brought himself low by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In Jesus' earthly ministry, for all of his labor, for all the arduous work, for all the messages, what external validation did he get? He ended up on a cross. As he's hanging from the cross, he's watching them cast lots throw dice for his clothing. He's got a title above him on a placard, mockingly calling him the king of the Jews as he hangs there on a cross. And yet, for the lack of validation he received in this world, what did God say of him? He gave him the name that is above every other name. Because the value scale of the kingdom of God is nothing like this world. And what's greatness is different today from what it will be in all of eternity. So if we want to be great, 
We need to change. That word is very simple in the Greek. It just means to turn. If we want to be great, we have to turn. We have to change directions. We've got to assume and embrace the lower space and status. Don't we get it? This world is always constantly seeking to inflate itself. That's the direction it's going in. And even Jesus' disciples, they're now using Jesus in the platform of the scriptures in the way of the kingdom of heaven as another means of simply inflating themselves all the more. We got to go a different way. God isn't looking for great people. He's looking for people that have given up on greatness and have begun to emulate him. God isn't honored. He isn't honored. He isn't welcomed in when we welcome in the rich and the beautiful and the powerful and the influential. He's not honored. He's not welcomed in when we become the rich and the beautiful and the powerful and the influential. He's found when you welcome in one such as a little child. That's where God's greatness is discovered, in the places that are low, in the places where no one is going, in the places where no one is looking. That's where God's greatness is found. So how do we go to those low places? How do we humble ourselves? I want to leave you with four simple applications. First, I want us to confess our weakness. Confess your weakness. For every image that we have of some of these all-star disciples, Peter and Paul, you know, people of great spiritual feats and accomplishments, there is a counterpoint in the scriptures recorded for our sake of seeing their flaws and weakness and sin. Now, Jesus is perfect. Everybody else is relying on the grace of God. You know, we're not modeling worldly greatness as Christians. We are modeling a people who are empowered by the grace of God. That's what Paul and Peter were doing. There's no greater role for us but to model the grace of God. There are really two types of people in this world. There are the humble and there are imposters. Truly, there are the humble people who know who they are. People who know their real status in light of God. And those who are faking it. Faking like there's something more than they actually are. Let's have a culture here at Branches. We confess our sin, our weakness, our flaws. Number two, I want us to associate with those of lower status. It still blows me away to think about Jesus, God, in very nature God, right? And he associates with these rural podunk guys from 2,000 years ago. And then he calls them friends. I mean, he is associating with folks of lower status than himself. Am I right? And it's wild to think about that Jesus, that God would consider them as his friends. And yet, that's the exact grounds upon which we understand that God would relate to us. It's an example to us. If God would care, if God would enter into a relationship with them and consider them friends, that's how Jesus would consider us as friends. That's how we could look to our Father in heaven. So that's the very basis of the gospel, that God would associate with those of lower status than himself. And, and now we're called to model the same thing. Romans chapter 12, verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. When you're proud, you're going to be on an island. But be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Let's be welcoming. Let's be one with all people. People from a lower socioeconomic class, from a you know, worst neighborhood, you know, from all these different backgrounds, lower status and achievements, who cares? 
when you consider the distance God went to associate with us. Third, assume the role of a servant. Take on the menial tasks. Take on the work that no one else wants to do with your roommates, in your household, in your marriage, in the workplace. Assume the role of a servant. And don't do so because you're play acting, because look, I'm going to be really humble right now, and I'm going to do something that's beneath me. It's a change of perspective. If washing the disciples' feet was not beneath the Son of God, then is there any task in service done for another that is beneath us? That's who we're made to be. Assume the role of servant. And finally, work where there is no validation. There's going to be a lot of people who are considered great in this world that will not be considered great in the kingdom of heaven. There's a lot of people, they did a lot of work and they were lauded for it and they were put up on a pedestal, but guess what? The Bible says they've received their reward in full. They already cashed out of the bank. They, they enjoyed their prosperity now, not for all of eternity. That greatness doesn't transcend that. There's going to be a lot of people that don't get credit for a lot of things because in the scripture it says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing when you're serving. I mean, be that self-forgetful. Well, how can you not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing when you've posted everything for the entire world to see on social media? Not just your left hand knows, everybody knows everything that's going on in your life. Right? That isn't kingdom greatness. I question, you know, folks in my own role, pastors who are constantly blogging, writing books, at conferences, preaching every weekend, where are they finding time to do the things that no one can see? Because to me, that's where our true character in Christ is developed, not just for pastors, but for all of us. It's in the work that has no earthly validation. Whether we pray for someone, whether we give in secret, whether we are aiding our neighbors, whether we're reaching out to the person who's isolated. A lot of the works that Jesus calls us into, they're not gonna be on the news. You're not gonna get an accolade for it today. But it's honored in eternity. Let's do the work where there is no validation. I told you, it's five verses, but it's, it's been messing with me. It's been making me low this week, and not in a bad way, in a good way. That call of Jesus for all of us to turn, to go a different direction than the direction we see so many pursuing in this world. Let's, let's pursue the example of Jesus, conformity to what he's taught us. Let's pray together. Let's ask for the Holy Spirit to guide us. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we're so grateful for not just your teaching, the simplicity and clarity of it, but also that you lived it, the Son of God, not considering equality with God something to be grasped, taking on the nature of a servant, humbling yourself even to the point of death on the cross, that you might associate with the lowly, those who are weak and those who are far from you. That's the gospel, Jesus. Lord, let us be a depiction of the gospel in our own humility. Lord Jesus, we want to be those who can confess our weaknesses rather than inflating ourselves constantly, defending ourselves constantly, Lord. Would we model your grace by receiving it abundantly, Lord Jesus, I pray that we'd be those who associate with those of lower position than ourselves. 
that we wouldn't look at our relationships as just stepping stones that lead us to greater significance. Lord, we see the image of God in all the people around us that you've made, the value in all those who are coming from different backgrounds as us, Lord. And may we associate with them as you've associated with us. Lord, help us to take on this role as servant. What's the tasks that no one wants to do? What's the labor that we think is beneath us? Lord, let nothing be beneath us. If service was not beneath you, if that was your nature, let that be our nature. And Lord, send us out to do the work where there's no validation. Think of all the ministry partnerships, all the mentorship that goes on. I think about all the gifts that are given that no one knows about. I think about the phone calls and the time that's spent meeting with people, and it's not going to receive accolades. It's not going to be on the news, and yet, Lord, that's where you are. That's greatness. So, Lord, form us, change us, shape us. May we turn directions. May we walk after you. Thanks so much for listening to the Branches HB podcast. For more information on Branches, you can visit our website at brancheshb.com or stay up to date with us on Instagram at brancheshb. As always, we'd love to have you at one of our Sunday gatherings. So come visit us at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m. Locations are available on our website. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.